Stand with me and let's read my favorite of the uh, versions of the resurrection. Yeah, out of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Father, I thank you. Your word says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they're not able to believe and they're not able to see the beauty and the glory that is revealed in Christ. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I rebuke blindness and darkness in this place. May it be completely lifted and every person here be free to see your beauty and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we uh, commemorate the event that separates Christianity from all other religions. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um. There are no specific historical events that you have to embrace in order to be a a Buddhist or a Confucius or an Islamist or a a Hindu. There's nothing that you can point to in history, you know, now you've got to believe that in order to be this. No, no, they're they're all based on uh, systems and and rules and uh, things of that nature, all, all involve basically a rule, a system of rules. And there are those who would turn Christianity into that. But that's not what Christianity is. It's not a system of rules. Christianity is about the central person of Jesus Christ. And there are, well, there are a lot of things that we Christians believe about this man. Uh, there are three things that stand out <coughs> above all others that you have to believe. The first one of that is that he's the only begotten son of God. The only begotten Son of God, which means he is the unique revelation of God to mankind. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The writer, of, the writer of Hebrews says that he is the visible expression of the invisible God. Uh, now, other, other religions have great leaders. Other religions have people that they point to and say, well, you, you know, this is, this is a good example. Or you can see a reflection of God here. But Jesus Christ is the expression of God in the world to those who are believers. <coughs> Excuse me. The second one is 
that he died on the cross for my sins. He did not die for anything that he did. He didn't die for his own sins. He didn't, he didn't die because he was guilty of anything. He died because I was guilty and because I am guilty. And his, his blood covers me in the same way. When the death angel entered uh, Egypt on the night of the Passover, a lot of, a lot of houses experienced death that night. From the, from the handmaiden at the gristmill, it says, all the way to the house of Pharaoh. All of the firstborn were killed. Except, and you know, if I were to say complete that sentence, almost everybody would say, oh, except for the Israelites. Well, that's, that's almost right. Except for the houses where somebody had enough faith to obey, sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, put it on the lintel and the doorpost of the house. Those houses were passed over. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I wouldn't have to experience death. And the third thing that you have to believe is that he rose from the dead, that he literally, literally rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm going to get some water over here, so if anybody else needs water, you'll get some in a half an hour. Uh, But I've got to talk. Anyway, uh, Paul says over in 1 Corinthians, and if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's pretty plain. If he hasn't been raised, your faith is useless. And then he goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So if you do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you really can't be a Christian because your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. If Christ has been raised from the dead, then this is quite simply the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. The evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming from the historian's viewpoint. The gold standard from a historian's viewpoint is is an eyewitness. Now, eyewitnesses aren't, aren't perfect in detail, but because they were there, they because they experienced something, then they certainly have a huge advantage over anybody who's, who's receiving it secondhand. And they definitely get the big picture concerning what happened. My parents lived through World War II. Now, I know a lot about World War II. I, I, I've, I've seen the movies on the History Channel. I've read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I've read Winston Churchill's history of the Second World War. And Uh, Churchill was once famously quoted as saying, history will vindicate us because I intend to write it. And he's right. His books make it very clear that they're in the right on everything. Uh, And I believe that they probably were. But I don't know World War II the way my parents knew it because they experienced it. they, They went through it. Now, they didn't know it the way somebody probably in France or Germany or the places where the battles were actually going on. They didn't know it that way, but they knew it in a way that I can never know it because they were there. I am old enough, and and a number of you are old enough to remember the day that John F. Kennedy was murdered. I wasn't there, but I know exactly where I was, and I know exactly how it felt, probably even more importantly, to be, in fact, I probably know pretty much exactly where the desk was in that eighth grade civics class when the uh, when the announcement came over the loudspeaker from the you know now you can know you can know you can know more facts about Kennedy's 
assassination than I know. But you don't, you can't know it the way I know it unless you were there, unless unless you were alive at the time. So eyewitnesses, the details. We we sometimes get tripped up in the details, and the four gospels all record the resurrection from from different perspectives, and they. There are minor discrepancies between these accounts, but that's to be expected. I mean, was there one Mary that went to the tomb or two Marys? You know, was it two Marys and, and Salome? Uh, did Joanna go with them? What, what are these other women that, that some of the, uh, that, that, that Luke records? Was there one angel sitting on the stone when they got there or was there one angel inside the tomb or were there two angels inside the tomb? And when did they encounter Jesus? Did they encounter Jesus? How many of them did? Those, those details, you know, that, that often trips people up, but it shouldn't. Speaking of being old, I was, uh, the last couple of weeks, I, somehow or another, I ended up re-watching all of the, all of the DVDs of the Beatles anthology. Uh, and you know, man, that was, every song brings back a, a thing, you know, for us old people. Uh, but, uh, but what was interesting, what I found interesting, especially in light of this was on June the 25th, 1967, the Beatles did a really cool thing. They were, there was a a broadcast, a worldwide broadcast by satellite. See, you weren't there, so you don't, you're not as impressed as you should be. But by satellite that uh, various countries of the world put forth um, an act, a reading, a a presentation, whatever, that they wanted to show the rest of the world. And uh, and Great Britain decided that uh, the Beatles would be what they would do. And what they did was they they did uh, the song, All You Need Is Love. And they had, you know, a lot of people sitting around doing the love thing and and they wore the colors, and it was it was it was groovy, man. I just I just gotta tell you, right now it was it was, yeah. And uh, so anyway, but what I found interesting was they were interviewing. They interviewed George Martin. He was their producer about it, and and uh, and Martin said, actually, I believe that that was a song that uh, that John wrote specifically for that uh, for that performance. No, wait a moment, no. No, actually, I, I think it was another song that he already had. I really don't know. Uh, and then they flipped over to Paul, and Paul went, oh, yes, it was a song that John already had, and it was, uh, it was one that uh, we were waiting to do, and just thought, this would be nice. This would be a, a nice thing to plug. No, wait. Wait a moment. George Martin would know. And then they flipped back to George Martin. And then they flipped to Ringo, who went, Oh, it was definitely a song that John wrote specifically for this thing. That's what happens with the minor details, okay? That, that, that's, that's what we human beings do when it turns into the minor details. But that does not mean that on June the 25th, 1967, they did not sing All You Need Is Love for the Whole Wide World. And according to George Harrison, put in a plug for God. Uh, and the fact that... You know, one guy says, well, it was two Marys, and another guy says, well, it was one Mary, and she ran into Jesus. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't resurrected from the dead. He absolutely was resurrected from the dead. Those are just the little minor details there. 
Some would try to discredit the eyewitnesses saying, well, they had reason to be biased and therefore they made up this story. These clever, clever lads made up this clever, clever story that people are now believing. But I'm just wondering if these guys were so clever, why didn't they get together and fix their story? And so the fact that there are minor discrepancies actually adds to its veracity. For me, get right down to it. Some point that the, the discrepancies is proof that, uh, uh, that, they, that they made, you know, that it's, it's really strange because a lot of people tend to say, well, they were so clever, they put this together, uh, and that's how smart they were. And yet they'll point to the other and go, well, it didn't really happen because they have discrepancies here. Come on, you know, get right down to it. And then others will say, well, you know, they were biased. What was their motive? For being biased. I mean, you know, some would say, well, they, uh, they, they were, these followers are simply opportunists. They were, uh, from the beginning, they joined Jesus in order to what? Change the world? Overthrow Rome? Start a new religion? I mean, why did they join Jesus? You know, opportunity, when it knocks, it's not usually dressed in the garb of a peasant itinerant evangelist from Nazareth of all places. It's not like everybody's going to go, oh, wow, that's him. No, that, that wasn't these, the kind of people that these guys were. What they were was they were just simply simple working class people. You know, if, if, if we read them in a book or if we know about them from history or something like that, we tend to think they must be different from us. They're not. You ever met a really famous person? I mean, some of you have. Some, you know, some of some of you maybe haven't, but some of you have. And one of the things that you discover about a really famous person is, gee, they smell like a regular person. Often they're shorter than what you would have expected them to be. They, you know, have interesting things about their bodies, just like regular people do. And these guys, these guys and gals were just... Ordinary working class people who clung to the hope in a world of despair that Christ had given to them. I mean, talk, wow, I'm running out of time. So, I mean, but just imagine, because almost none of us have experienced the, the level of social despair that they had when, when they encountered Christ. The, the level of oppression that they had when they encountered Christ. And now here's this guy, and he's saying these incredible things, and their hope is there. And what did the cross do to that hope? I mean, if it were you, would you go, yeah, he's dead now, man. I knew it was going to happen. No. You would be crushed. Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he died, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn. While the world rejoices, you will grieve. And so Mary stood outside the tomb crying. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear, the Jewish leaders. Even after Christ appeared to some of them, Thomas, the one who wasn't there, said, unless I put my finger in his, in his hands and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. I went there for three years. I gave up everything to follow him, and I believed, and this is what happened. So don't just tell me you saw him unless I can actually. That's the kind of despair. That's, that's, where, they, that's where they were. They were crushed. 
And what's different about that? I mean, that's just like us. Don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. And so you're telling me that what you believe is that after these guys in this condition got together and went, hey, look, I know how we can fix this. You know, we all believed a lie and it's really destroyed us. Hey, let's make a bigger lie and get everybody to believe it. And then I'll go and die for it. Is that what you believe? Is that, is that what you think really happened? It's not what I think happened. Something changed them. And what changed them was that they saw him. They saw a man who had been crucified on the cross before their very eyes. They had a, had a, had a spear driven up under his ribs into his heart to be sure he was dead. They saw him. They, they saw him again. Peter and John, when they got to this tomb, and, and, and I, like I say, this is my favorite one, but they, got, they had a real puzzler when they got there. And the reason it's my favorite one, I mean, a lot of you already know this, but I, already, I, I really identify with John. I mean, he's my guy. And, and I like the way that John kind of, uh, kind of pokes at Peter here. You know, he, he says, well, they started out running, and Peter was first, but the other disciple won when they got there. And then, uh, and then Peter went in, while the, while the one who got there first waited uh, and by the way, Peter, <laughs> I'm the disciple that Jesus loves, you know, that, that, that whole thing. I mean, I, I, I just, I like his attitude there, but they have a, they have a puzzle. The body is gone. And why, if, you know, if you wanted the body, I don't know, for research or something, why, why take one out of a tomb that's being guarded by soldiers with the seal of Rome on it? There, there's other fish in the sea. Quite frankly, I mean, you know, it's like the old thing about you, if you encounter a bear, you, 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 uh, you can't outrun a bear, but, but if you can outrun the person with you. <laughs> then you're safe, you know. Don't take this one, take that one. And, and not only that, the grave clothes were in there. I mean, a, a mystery upon mystery. You know, if you're going to steal a body, why do you want it? Why do you want to get a, a, a mutilated, dead body? Why do you want to take it out naked when it's already got something covering it? And why take the time to, to, to leave the, the, the facial cloth lying there where it was, neatly folded? John saw this, and it dawned on him, he believed. He believed. Say, well, Jesus had been telling them this is what was going to happen. Yes, but we don't listen to what we're told. We really don't. Um, the next place Springhouse Theater's doing is Tom Sawyer, and I'm directing it, and I, and I, and I, and I put two casts together for it of kids because I'm, I'm dumb. And uh, the first, but because of that, sometimes we'll have rehearsal in here, but we'll have rehearsal in another part of the building. We'll have it in the fellowship hall or we'll have it in the, uh, up in the cool church room. And so on the first rehearsal, I took all the kids and all the cast, and I said, okay, field trip. And so we came up here and we looked around here and we got acclimated here and then we went over to the fellowship hall and I said, this is the fellowship hall. You will have rehearsals in here some nights. Fellowship hall, rehearsals, some nights. And then I took them upstairs. This is the cool church room, also known as the black box theater, whatever. It's where you're going to have rehearsals some night. So the next night... We had part of them in here and part of them in the fellowship hall. How many went to the fellowship hall? 
they all came in here and went, where is the fellowship hall? We don't listen. Yes, Jesus had said, I'm going to be handed over to the Romans and I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. What? Surely he's speaking metaphorically. He certainly doesn't mean exactly what what he said. But the explanation to all of this mystery came when they saw him. When he came, he stood among them. He spoke to them. He ate with them. He proved his physicality to them. They touched him. And so John was able to write later on over in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched and our hands have handled. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. If only I could see him. You know, a lot of people, if only I, man, if I'd been there, if I'd seen him, if I saw him, I would believe. You don't really want to be, you don't, you You don't want to trade places with these guys, quite frankly. Are you ready to give up everything you've got and go spend three years investing it in in someone and then see see your innocent friend cruelly and legally murdered? And then when you, you know, do see him, understand that if you're going to say, yeah, I saw him, you're going to be cruelly and legally murdered. Yeah, you up for that? No, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. There's a, a story about uh, uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, great, the greatest actor of the 20th century. And uh, there's a story told about he was doing a movie with Dustin Hoffman, who's a pretty decent actor as well. And, uh, uh, and Hoffman's character in this movie uh, gets harassed a lot, and he's just got, you know, terrible stuff happening to him, and and it, it, it's not good. Well, Hoffman is known as a, as a method actor, which means that when he takes a role, he gets into it 24-7, whether he's on stage or on screen or not, he, in front of the camera. I mean, he's going, he wants to live that role. And uh, one day he shows up for the, for the shoot, and he is just, he's just a mess. He's just, and Olivier says, my my boy, what has happened to you? And Hoffman explains to him, you know, well, you know, I really, I like to get into my character. And, I, you know, so I've been sleeping outside and, and going without food and, and all this stuff so I could really get into it. And Olivier says, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> and so my question today is, why don't you just try believing? Instead of trying to be something, just believe. Instead of making this effort, just believe. When you believe, a process begins inside of you. And that process is one of transformation. And it's not really something you're doing, but it really does change you. It really does make a difference. It made a difference in my life. The Holy Spirit is released to begin to do stuff. And ultimately, He'll complete it because the Scripture says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, you, you may go, well, man, I, you know, I see this Christian and I, or I live with this Christian, you know, and the, ex- and the example that I, if that's what it's all about, then I don't want anything to do with it. It's not about that. It's about you believing the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
that he died for your sins and that he rose from the dead. Ain't about anybody else. It's about you. And why don't you just believe? That's what, that's what salvation, that's what righteousness has always been about. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk is the one who wrote, The righteous shall live by faith. From Abel to Abraham, from Rahab to Ruth, from John to today. It's by faith. And this is what you believe. For God so loved the world, and he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't really want to die, do you? This is the door to everlasting life. Jesus went to the cross because he loved the Father. The Father sent him to the cross because he loved you. And he raised him from the dead because he loved him. And your faith seals the deal. That's the power of the resurrection. Well, those who are going to be uh, serving at the table, come forward and worship team. If you guys will come on, we're going to go to the table of the Lord now.
listen. Everyone who is thirsty, let him come to the waters and drink. Everyone who is hungry, let him come and eat without money, without cost. You who are weary, heavy laden, come. Find rest. As the scripture has said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus spoke this of the Spirit who would be given to those who believed in him. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Body of Christ, bread of heaven. His body made us whole. His blood makes us clean. In the same manner, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood, which is shed for you. Blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. You may stand.